We'd like to welcome everyone this morning. If you're a guest with us worshiping today, we'd like to welcome you this morning. We're so glad that you're here with us. Amen. Praise God. And if you are watching us this morning on theanioc.com, we welcome you this morning into our broadcast. Praise God. Let me just say something real quick. First of all, uh, I feel like I need to be introduced. It's, this is like my third time preaching on Sunday morning and since September. And there's some of you that have started coming over the last little while, and I don't think I've had the opportunity to minister to you quite often. Um, but let me just say something real quick. I know that the, the natural tendency, and there's a part of this I think that's okay. I, I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But the natural tendency during this time of year is that the next couple of services especially uh, are sort of throwaway things. We just come because that's what we do, but it's holiday. And, but you know what? Ultimately, life doesn't stop just because the calendar says it's Christmas. Hearts don't stop hurting. Broken places don't get mended. The bound don't become free just because it's Christmas. And those of you that are in here, sometimes I feel like holidays actually magnify instead of minimize. And so I encourage you, those of you, don't just, if, if and again, I say this often, but if we're literally just going to come in here and go through the motions because that's what we do, it's better off just dismissing and going home. We get no extra credit with God just because we show up and we went through the motions. I, I remember when I was in Sunday school, they would sometimes have a, a, a way of rewarding the students and they'd put a chart on the wall and every time you came, you get a star on the chart. And if you got a certain amount of stars, you got to pick out a treasure box or something like that. And it works for kids. But I think sometimes we feel that way about God, that, you know, God, I'm showing up, I'm getting my star. And, you know, if I do this ten weeks in a row you got to give me something in return. And that just doesn't work that way, folks. It doesn't work that way. That's not what this is all about. That's not why we come to church. That's not what church was ever designed to be. In fact, our modern thinking of church is so far beyond what the Bible even ever intended it to be. We have kind of lost the meaning of that. So I'm saying all that. That's not where I'm going today. But I just wanted to throw that out there that if we're going to come, and there's be, next week we're going to sing some, some uh, seasonal songs, we're going to have a good time, but let's not just come just to come. We will just cancel if that's the case. And uh, we're, well, we're going to come, and you never know, it might be your season to be healed, be delivered, for your life to be changed. You never, never know. Praise God. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is going to where we're going to begin today from John chapter 1, and we're going to go all the way down to verse number 43. John chapter 1 is a tremendous pass. All of John is really good and rich. I can't say that one gospel sticks out above the others, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what in theological terms are called the synoptic gospels because they're very similar. In fact, if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you find a lot of cross-references and similarities. Theologically, they all have very similar um, uh, themes to them. But John, because it was written so late, the Gospel of John was one of the last books of the Bible written, 
it has a total different flavor and theme to it. And John 1 starts off tremendously. Within the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. But we get down to the end of John, and we start getting into a little more of the meat of the ministry of Jesus. And John chapter 1, verse number 43 says this, The day following Jesus, the day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was a Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and said unto him, We found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael saith unto him, Can there, be, can in, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence whence knowest thou me? Jesus said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Jesus, and said unto him, Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. I'm going to preach today for a few minutes with this subject, Where's Waldo? Where's Waldo? God bless you. You may be seated. Maybe your, your kids had this book or you remember this book somewhere along the way. But most of us in this room have at one time seen or picked up the books that are entitled Where's Waldo? And in case you don't really know anything about Where's Waldo, I'll give you a brief synopsis of what the Where's Waldo books are about. They're usually pretty large books that when you open it up, it's a picture cartoon pictures of a lot of crazy scenes and a lot of fun stuff going on. And the object of the book is to find Waldo. And the way that the artist draws the books, they draw it so that Waldo blends in with the crowd. That there's a lot of people that are wearing red and white and blue. And there's a lot of things that look similar, but there's only one Waldo. And the object for us as the viewer is to take the time and to systematically go section by section of that book and find out where Waldo is. But the problem is, there's a lot of things on those pictures that look like Waldo. There's a lot of things that, when you look at him, you think, well, there he is, but you look closer and realize, well, that's not really Waldo. It looks like Waldo, but it's not Waldo. And then you have to keep looking and looking because in that whole picture of Sometimes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of figures that have been drawn, there's only one Waldo. But instead of thinking about it from us, I want to think about how it must have felt to be Waldo. What does it feel like to be Waldo, to be lost in the crowd and your identity be lost in the picture? What is it like to be Waldo and to have people have to spend 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes just to find you because you're so lost in the picture that they can't even see you. 
You're just one of many. Yeah, you might have some characteristics that stick out because usually Waldo was one of the few that was wearing glasses and, and he was the one that had that particular outfit. But, but as Waldo, I'm staring out of the page at you looking down at me and I'm wondering, are you ever going to find me? Because I just look like I'm lost in the crowd. I'm just one of many. I look like everybody else. I, I dress like everybody else. And I'm in the same situation as everybody else. And, and yes, it's your job to find me, but, but I wonder looking out of the page back at you as you stare at me, will you ever find me? And as you spend time looking at where's Waldo, somewhere along the line you eventually find Waldo because Waldo is always able to be found. But to take that a little farther and kind of make it to us is that I feel like a lot of us today feel like Waldo. A lot of us feel like we're just kind of lost in life. We're, we're just one of many. We come to church and we look around and we see a lot of people here and, and sometimes we wonder, does God even know I'm here? Sometimes our problems, our situations, our difficulties, life itself seems to strip our identity away and we feel like we're just lost in life. And we even sometimes go as bold as to utter the words, God, do you even know I'm here? God, do you even see what I'm going through? God, do you even know the difficulty I'm in? God, do you even see it? In fact, the psalmist David wrote many, many times. He said one time that literally I, I feast, I eat my tears. He cried so much that he began to describe his tears as food. Because so many times he was finding himself weeping because he was lost in his situation. And there's a lot of you here today, we talk about the goodness of God. We talk about the provisions of God. We talk about what God can do and wants to do. But it's so hard sometimes for us to identify with that because we look around and we go, but I'm just one of many. I'm just one of many. Yeah, I, I do believe God loves and I do believe God cares, but I'm just one of many. And it makes it even worse. I remember the bishop telling the story as, uh, uh, talking about as Antioch began to grow. In case you don't know, back in 1970, our church started. It was just my mother and father. They were the only one. He preached to her. She sang to him. That was it. And little by little, the church began to grow. And I remember him telling the stories of how that as the church began to grow, and they, would, they had 10, and then they had 20, and then they finally reached to the 50 mark. And man, they were feeling great. But, but when they went from 50 to 100, he, he began to tell how the people that were there with 50 began to struggle at 100. Because at 50, you can stick out more. But at 100... You're starting to get lost in the crowd. At 50, there's a more likelihood the preacher or the pastor or the, or, or the leadership's going to shake your hand every Sunday. But at 100, and then at 150 and 200, and as the church grew, there were people that, that struggled with the church growing because as the church grew larger, they felt more lost in the crowd. 
And we talk about a lot here the vision of this church, the vision of this church to have thousands and thousands and thousands. And if we feel this way now with a couple of hundred in here today, what would it be like to be in a crowd of a thousand? I mean, it's so funny to me. If you've ever been to a sporting event and you're in there and there's 10, 15, 20,000, a football game with 60, 70, 80,000, and there have been times where uh, with, with, I didn't have the ability to sit down at, near the field. And we're way up there. I mean, you got binoculars just to be able to see what's going on because you're so far up. And it, it always strikes me funny. You've got some guy up there that's yelling at the team on the field. He's so far up there, you can't even see who he is. But he feels like his voice can be heard all the way down on the field. Yelling at the referee as if that referee, with 80,000 people screaming their lungs off and all the stuff he's concentrating on, as if that referee can hear that guy that's at the top row of the stadium. And I've always laughed at that thinking, what are you doing? But I think sometimes... We feel that way when we come to church because we feel like we're just one of many voices and we're just one of the crowd. And so we come and we get lost. And, and if there's not an opportunity to greet you or not pray for you, and we have that mentality that you come and, and, and you close your eyes and you need prayer and you're hoping the pastor, the preacher, the leadership will come pray for you because if anybody else prays for you, you're not going to get it. But if they pray for you, you might get it. But if they don't come, then you feel like, see, I don't even think they even recognize I'm here. I don't even know if they know me. And you have this kind of feeling that, where's Waldo? Where am I in this? I'm just one of many, and the devil is great at capitalizing on that attitude, Brother Roberts. He comes along and he just kind of sits on your shoulder, and he perches up and says, see, if God really did care about you, if God really did Feel the way they say he felt about you. If he really was concerned about you, don't you think you would feel differently? Don't you think that, that he would send... How about this one? Don't you think he'd send somebody along? And then you start looking for somebody and no one comes and you begin to replay that in your... Don't you think, don't you think? He just kept... And so what happens? He tries to make us feel more isolated than we already feel. Because you know what? The first step in someone backsliding is isolation. You show somebody that stops coming to church and you trace back the steps, it almost always starts with isolation. They start pulling away. And this is no reflection of anybody where you're sitting, but they start moving different places in the church. They start isolating themselves. They don't talk to as many people. They get in right, on, right after it starts. They leave right before it ends. They start isolating themselves. And when you start isolating yourselves and you feel alone, then you feel like, well, see, I knew God doesn't care. And all of a sudden now, not only are you isolating yourself from the body, but you're isolating yourself from Him. And once you're separated from the herd, you've got no protection. And so we had this, where's Waldo? I, I, I think in some ways that must have been the feeling of Nathaniel. Because when he comes to Jesus and he talks to Jesus, the response that he is given by Jesus shocks him. Because he comes to Jesus and the first words that are exchanged between him and Jesus 
Verse number uh, 48. John 1, 48. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called thee, when thou was under, when you were under the fig tree, I saw thee. When you were under the fig tree, I saw thee. His first question is, You know me? Wait a minute. Wait. You know who I am? You don't know me. This is the first time we've talked. This is the first time you've laid eyes on me. How do you know me? And Jesus said, I'll tell you this. Not only did I know you before now, I go back before Philip even found you. I saw you when you were under the fig tree. There's a lot of different contexts to that. One of the ones I find to be interesting is the fig tree is a symbol of Israel. The fig tree represents Israel in many, many different ways. And so in some ways he was telling Nathaniel, I don't just see you as an Israelite. I don't just see you as one of many. But I see you as Nathaniel. It's different just to be, I see you because you go to church. But it's another thing to see you because you skip. Because when Jesus said to him, I knew you, but even greater than that, I knew you and I saw you when you were still under the fig tree. Whoa, wait a minute. That totally blew Nathaniel's mind. Because when he came back with his response, his response was not about arguing. Are you sure that was me? Are you sure you saw me? Are you sure you didn't get me mixed up with somebody else? His response that came back was, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. And thou art the King of Israel. When he realized... That Jesus knew who he was. When he got the revelation that Jesus knew who he was. And you see, the great thing about it is, when he said you were under the fig tree, that's like saying to somebody in Georgia, I saw you under a peach tree. Fig trees are everywhere. Fig trees were all over the place. But the context that he said, that I saw you under the fig tree, he wasn't talking in generalities. Something transpired there between Jesus and Nathaniel that Nathaniel understood. He's not talking about the fact that yesterday I walked under a fig tree and he happened to glance at me. But he knows where I've been. He knows where I've been living. He knows. In fact, one translation talks about, and the commentary talks about the fig tree that he was referring to was actually a fig tree that was in the garden of his home. And that was a place that usually people, because it was a hot, hot day, and usually the fig trees would provide shade, and they would go under there to pray and to, and to, and to speak to God. And he was telling Nathaniel, he said, I saw you when you were praying and you didn't even know someone was answering your prayer. I saw you. I saw you. And something so profound took place in Nathaniel's mind that when he heard that, he was so astonished to know that Jesus knows where I am. I know that it's very simple. We look at that and go, of course he does. But we don't live like that. 
Because we live like we're one of many. But to know that He knows exactly where I am. He knows exactly where I'm living. He knows exactly the tears. In fact, the Bible says He knows me so intimately, He counts the number of hairs on my head. He knows me that intimately. In fact, that means, you know what that means? I know this sounds funny and crazy and we laugh at it, but that means that God has a log book in heaven that counts the number of hairs you lose. Some faster than others, right? Now think about that. If he would go to that trouble to keep track Every time you put a comb in your hair and you brush and you pull a few out, that logbook changes. Every time. Every time one of those hairs falls out, the logbook changes. If God cares enough to count your hair on your head and know the specific number in your, of your head. To know down to the finest hair on your head. If he knows that, don't you think he knows where you are today? I don't care what the devil said. I don't care what lies he's told you. I don't care how you feel. I don't mean that to be negatively. I'm not saying that to be, to be, to be offensive. I don't care how it feels. I'm telling you the truth. Your feelings may be real, but your feelings don't equal truth. Because the truth of the matter is he knows where I am. He sees me even when I'm under the fig tree. In fact, there's one passage of scripture that we find a little later in John, John chapter 4. He says to the disciples, he says, listen guys, I've got to go to Samaria. They look at him and go, what? Samaria? Jews don't go to Samaria. Jews don't go down there. We don't do that. He goes, I have to go to Samaria. And he goes to Samaria. And at the time he gets there, the Bible says there is a woman that comes from a, to, to the well, and that woman happened to be a woman whose life was an absolute disaster, an absolute mess, someone that felt like no one knew, no one cared who she was because she had messed up so much. But Jesus, long way off, saw her, saw her heart, saw the cry that was down in there, and he made a trip that was out of the way and was something that would never have been done in that time and went there. Why? Because he knew where she was. Later on, we find in Luke chapter 19, the story that we all hear in Sunday school. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see, see, see. The little man, Zacchaeus, the Bible says that he wanted to see Jesus. But they said the press, the crowd was so great. He knew because he was a shorter guy, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he climbed up in a tree to see Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus walked by the tree. Now, I got to thinking about that a little bit. And I know this might be just my thinking on the matter, but I got to thinking about that a little bit. Let's just play out the scenario. You have Jesus here in the crowd, right? He's here in the middle. And there are people everywhere. And Zacchaeus is so short and so little, he can't see Jesus. So he's going to climb a tree. Now, where is that tree going to be? More than likely, that tree is going to be outside of the crowd. Right? Away from where Jesus was. But Jesus stops underneath the tree. 
It wasn't even a tree that had to be, would have had been convenient, in my opinion, would have been convenient. Somewhere Jesus would have had to start veering off through the crowd to get to that tree. Here's Zacchaeus that doesn't even feel like he can even fit in the crowd that's around him. And he separates himself to so he can get a glimpse. But Jesus knows, sees, and finds him. But I go a little farther today. He said to Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. That reference to the fig tree is very interesting because we can go all the way back to the first time in Scripture that God went looking for someone. Genesis chapter 3, we know the story of Adam and Eve, the serpent, the temptation, the dialogue between the serpent and Eve and what had taken place. And finally, Eve takes the fruit, eats it, takes it to Adam, he eats it. And the Bible says that the moment that they begin to eat it, their eyes were open. They saw that they were naked. And in order to hide their nakedness, the Bible says that they sowed aprons of fig leaves, covered themselves. Later on in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that God showed up in the garden. And when he showed up in the garden, Adam was nowhere to be seen. And God makes the most interesting question in the Bible, one of the most interesting ones. He says, he calls out and says, Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? You've heard this many, many times, but please allow me to elaborate on this again. That didn't mean that God didn't know where Adam was. He wasn't playing hide and seek. According to Scripture, if God fills all space and all time, he was actually standing right next to Adam. But he says to Adam, where are you? And Adam's response back to him is, I'm hiding. He says, why are you hiding? He says, well, because we're naked. And he says to him, who told you you were naked? You see, as we read that scripture, we find that the separation that we feel most of the time is not God separating himself, but it's us separating ourselves. We often look at God stepping back and hiding in the closets of heaven, waiting for us to peek around the corner. But in reality, isolation starts with me. Because God comes looking for Adam, shows up. Do you not think, folks, today, we're smart people in this room, we can figure this out. Don't you think, Brother Evans, he already knew that Adam had sinned? He already knew Adam had made a mistake, but yet he still decided to show up? <gasps> Wait a minute. So that means what I do doesn't disqualify me. The Bible says, what can separate me from the love of God? And it goes on to list all these things that, that, that can't separate me. Life, death, angels, principalities, all this kind of stuff in the end of Romans chapter 8. But one thing it fails to mention, it leaves out. And I'm not going here today, but one thing it fails to leave out is, it never says, it says, not my present, not my future. But it does, says nothing about my past. 
Because we separate from Him. He doesn't separate from us. And He showed up knowing, knowing what He had done. First of all, can I just say this today? That I'm thankful that God's performance in my life is not predicated on what I do and don't do. Maybe you got it all down pat and you don't need that worry about that. But thank God in my life that He does not determine whether or not He shows up in my life based on my performance. Because can I be honest with you? Most days He wouldn't be anywhere to be found. I'm so glad today that He found me Not when I was on the mountain, but he found me when I was in the pit. I'm so thankful today that he found me. Not when I was cleaned up and I was pretty and I had everything in my life together. But he found me when I was messed up. I was stained. I was dirty. I'd been in the mud and the muck and the life all around me. And yet he didn't step away and say, look, you get out of that and come to me and I'll help you. But he got right down in the mess with me. I'm so glad today that when he was on that cross and he was peering out into the future and he saw you and I today that he didn't die for us at our best, but he died for us at our worst. That he didn't die for you today because you're standing here today and your hands are lifted and you look good and you act good and you look pretty and you got all kinds of wonderful things. But he found you and died for you when you had everything coming out of your mouth that would make a sailor blush. When you had life that was messed up. That's when he died for you. That's when he died for you. He didn't die when you're here with your hands lifted. He died when you were so drunk you couldn't put two feet in front of the other. He died for you when you were so overwhelmed with drugs and addiction you couldn't even get to bed every night without having something to knock you out. That's when he died for you because he didn't see you when you were on the mountain but he saw you when you were under the fig tree when you were trying to cover yourself up with your own goodness with your own attitude, with all the success of life. That's when he saw you folks. Can I go a little bold as to say this? Is that when he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree, one thing he was saying is, Nathaniel, I saw you when you were trying to live under your own clothing. Your own identity. When you were trying to clothe yourself in your own identity, I saw you then. When he shows up in the garden, he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, um, uh, we're over here hiding. Why are you hiding? Well, we're naked. Why are you naked? Who told you that? And this dialogue begins to go back, but something so wonderful happens. Genesis chapter 3. I actually put it up there. I can't see who that is. I see the top of your head. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 20, I believe is the right reference. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Verse, next verse. Watch this. Verse 21. And unto Adam also did his wife, did the Lord God, make coats of skin and clothe them. You know what? I got to be bold to say this, and I mean this without disrespect. Most Christians read that verse and they go past it. They don't even realize what happened there. 
It just that totally goes past them and that just goes right over their head and they don't even realize the miracle that took place there. The miraculous provision of that verse. Don't take it down. I want that verse to stay up there. Because at first glance, it doesn't really seem like it. Unto Adam also did his wife and did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. Woo! Because the next verse, it goes on and starts talking about something else. And it seems like that verse is just kind of like, okay, what's the big deal here? But you got to realize something there, folks. The Bible says that when you sin, death is the penalty. The wages of sin is what? Death. That the only way to repay your sin is death. That's why the whole gospel and the whole attitude is you can do good to outweigh your bad is not from the Bible. Because according to the Bible, the only way to outdo your bad is to die. I'm not volunteering for that. You can, and I'm not. And the Bible says the only way to outdo your bad is to die. So this attitude that you can outlive your mistakes, you're going to run yourself in the ground, folks. Some of you, can I just say this with all boldness in the Holy Ghost? Some of you live under so much pressure. So much pressure. Living for God is hard. Life is hard. Everything's hard. You know why? Because you're trying to outlive your mistakes. Oh, I feel that so strong in here. I don't know who that is, but you need to listen right now in the Holy Ghost. You're trying to outlive your mistakes. You're trying to be good to prove to your... Not everybody else, to yourself. You're trying to prove to yourself that the mistakes you made weren't you, that you're actually this good person. And you live under this pressure. Because you can't make a mistake. You can't do anything. I mean, you have a bad thought. You're, I mean, you just, you just live. Oh, my goodness. Pressure, 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 pressure. I mean, living for God is so laborious and, and, I mean, you're talking about there's joy and peace. Living for God, you go, are you serious? Really? Woo! I don't feel that. I feel pressure. And you just, I mean, some of you, my Lord, I don't know how in the world you make it. For, I don't mean that to be funny. I don't know how you make it from week to week. You got so much pressure in your life. Because you're trying so much to prove. And God forbid anyone makes a mistake because you whip out your sword. Zing! And you're ready to go to fight because if I can't make a mistake, you better not make a mistake. And you just want to point out everybody's mistake. Well, did you know what they did? Did you know what they went? Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? And the only reason I'm doing that is because... (laughs) If I can push them down, I can lift myself up. And I'm telling you this, the most judgmental and critical people are the people that are living under that pressure. Because the Bible says love hides sin. People that are judgmental and they want to pull out the sword and slice people up because they make a mistake, those are the people, they're not truly living for God. They're living for performance. Oh, boy. Woo! Got to pass out donuts quick now. It's getting tight. Tight. It's tight, but it's right. Woo! Trying to help somebody today. I'm not trying. Jesus is trying to help somebody. Because if you keep living like this, eventually, you know what pressure leads to? Pressure. You know how they know a volcano is about to erupt? The pressure. 
Every once in a while, only to survive, you got to let off a little steam. Mm-hmm. You know what steam is? A fence. You got to get, you get offended a lot. You tell me somebody that's offended, I'll tell you somebody living under pressure. Pressure. Why? Because you're trying to give yourself an identity that God never intended for you to have. Because you can't outrun your mistakes. You can't outrun what's been done. Because the Bible says the only way to outrun it is to die. But it comes to Adam. He shows up knowing Adam had already done this. He already knew Adam had made a mistake. He already knew that Adam had sinned, but that he showed up. And you know what? He didn't walk into that garden that day and said, Hey, Adam, right here, buddy. Stand right there. Now, listen to me. I want you to listen very carefully. I gave you all of this. I gave you everything. I told you to do one simple thing. And you couldn't even do that. You disgust me. You're such a failure. I can't believe that you would do that to me. I can't believe you would do that. I gave you everything and I only asked you to do one thing and you couldn't even do that. Get out of here. That's what we would do if we were God. That's what we do to ourselves. But God shows up in the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? I'm over here, God. I'm hiding. He didn't say, get out here. Stop hiding. He said, but why are you hiding? Why are you separating yourself from the one who can help you in this situation? Well, because I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? If anyone had the right to expose their nakedness, it was God. But God said, why are you? Who told you that? Who told you? You know what that means? It's that we tell ourselves stuff that God has never intended for us to tell us. We say things to ourselves that don't. It sounds like God, but it's not God. It sounds really noble, right? Well, you know, if you were, if you were a really good person, you wouldn't think that. If you were a really good person, you wouldn't act like that. If you were a really good person, you wouldn't say that. If you were a good person, you wouldn't have that bad thought. And how can you? Because it sounds right, you know? It sounds good. Or how about this one? I, I love this one. If people really knew the type of person you were, Boy, would they be disappointed. Hey. I've lived that. I'm just saying that. That has been... I mean, I have to sometimes put earphones on to block that out. If people really knew... What goes on in your mind? If people knew the thoughts you had, if people, 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 they would have, they would just, oh, they would be disgusted by you. You know what that do? Oh, I got to find a place to hide quick. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Where are you at today, Pastor Wright? I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Oh, I feel exposed and naked. Who told you you were naked? Um... I don't really know, but I feel it. I 
feel that way. Why? Because I got all this stuff being told to me. And God said, listen, <laughs> I got to take care of that now. And the Bible says this, little, little one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words, seven words, seven. That's awesome. It's God's number. Seven words changed history. Seven words changed history. Make coats of skin and clothe them. Seven words that changed eternal history. Because let's just recap what that means, to make coats of skin. In order to make a coat from an animal, what has to happen to that animal? It's got to die. Now let's, be, let's, let's recap. Did the animal make a mistake? Was the animal innocent? So an innocent animal died for the guilty. The one that did no wrong had to die so that the one that did wrong could get out of the penalty. But it wasn't good enough in God's eyes just to kill it. Because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So, first of all, in order our sins to be forgiven, it has to be simply, blood has to be shed, death has to happen. So, in God's, God's thinking, just killing it, he, didn't, he wanted to go beyond that. Because here's the problem. The killing takes care of the act. But it doesn't take care of how I feel and the separation. And he went a step farther. He said, not only did he kill it, but the Bible says he got a sewing machine out. He sat down and created a coat and put it on Adam and Eve. And I, 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 I've got to realize this. Notice this. Can I just, it's going to sound funny. Notice he made them a coat, not a bikini, not a tank top. Not a pair of shorts. He made them a coat. He wasn't interested in covering up a portion of them. He wanted to cover up all of them. And I don't know if the garden had a mirror. But somewhere along the line, God put a mirror in there somewhere. Because when Adam and Eve saw themselves for the first time in that coat, Something had to have transpired to them. Because when they saw that coat, no longer did they see their nakedness, but they saw the covering. And the separation that took place, that had drawn them away from God, God made a provision to bring that back together again. You see, that's where most of us live today. We live in the stage of just trying to get forgiven. I just got to get forgiven. I made mistakes. I got go, to go to church and repent. Jesus got to forgive me. But you see, here's what in the Bible forgiveness represents. Forgiveness represents pardon. Because you hear all the time when a president's about to go to office, out of office most of the time, this is when it starts to happen. But he writes, he starts pardoning, pardoning people. What does a pardon mean? A pardon means that you've committed a crime, you've been convicted and found guilty of that crime, but the pardon says you don't have to pay the penalty for that crime 
but yet the record still shows that you committed the crime. Forgiven, forgiveness of sins, that's what that is. The forgiveness of sins says you're guilty, you made a mistake, you were found to be guilty. The record will show that you're guilty, but the penalty of your sin is taken away. That's where most of us live. We live pardoned. We live with no penalty, but we walk around feeling like a sinner. We live without the penalty of our sin. We know, you know what, if I just hang on for Jesus, I'll make it to heaven. But we feel so worthless. We feel like such sinners because we've been forgiven. But that's all we've been. But the Bible says there's something that's greater than simply forgiveness. He says that he wants to give us righteousness. He wants to give us robes of righteousness. What is that? Justification is the process. Righteousness is the product. What does that mean? What does it mean to be justified? To be justified means that you've been found guilty of the crime. You've had a trial. All the witnesses have said, you did it. The jury looks at you and says, the evidence in the case is beyond dispute. You are guilty. They deliberate and they find you. You are the one that has committed this crime. The judge stands up and says, you have been found guilty. This is your sentence. Forgiveness comes along and says, wipe out the jail term. They don't have to serve the time, even though they did the crime. But the problem is you walk out of that courtroom feeling like a criminal. But justification is this. All the rights have been read to you. You've been told what you've been done. You've been told that this has been what has been found to be through the evidence of the trial has been your conviction. But you have the greatest lawyer that has ever been in any courtroom. You've got the best lawyer. In fact, he's so good lawyer, you can't even afford him. So he comes free. His price is so high, you can't even afford him. So he said, I'll just give it to you for free. And your lawyer says, uh-uh, Mr. Judge, excuse me, sir. Uh, time out a little bit. Uh, we got this all wrong. What, what, what do you mean we got wrong? Uh, I'm standing in for my client. What do you mean you're standing in for a client? I'm guilty. Wait, wait a minute. How are you guilty? I'm taking his place. What do you mean taking? I'm meaning that I'm the one that committed the crime. I'm the one that was found guilty. I'm the one that was made to be punished for this act. I'm taking his place. And the judge looks at him and says, what about him? He says, take my innocence and give it to him. Take my identity and give it to him. Call me his name and you call him my name. We're switching places. Oh, Holy Ghost, help us right now. This sounds like it's too good to be true. It sounds like a Disney fairy tale, I know. Oh, we just click our heels three times and we're home and it's all great. No, 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 no. This is the greatness 
of God. I'm a sinner. Can I just be totally transparent with you? And I mean this. I don't mean this to be disrespectful towards anybody. And I'm going to say this, and I'm probably going to get myself in hot water, but it won't be the first time, and I guarantee it won't be the last time. But I'm not one that says, I'm never, I, I may have said it a long time ago, but the Lord gave me revelation, and I say this, and I don't mean this support to anybody who says this. This is just my own personal thought. But I've never, or will never say again publicly, I grew up in church, and I never smoked, I never drank, I never did drugs. As if those are the only three sins in the Bible. Really? Those are the only three ones in the Bible. I never smoked, I never drank, I never did drugs. Woo! Those are the only three? Hey, I never smoked, I never drank, I never did drugs, but I was a liar. I was a cheat. I had lust, I had sin, I had perversion. I was just as lost as anybody else. Just because I grew up on a pew, I slept on a pew, I ate on a pew, I played under the pew, did not qualify me to be saved without Him. And I know I'm going to get myself in trouble, but that's okay. I've never smoked, but I never drank, and I've never done drugs, but I'm just as much of a sinner as anybody else. But you know what? That's great. Oh. oh, I can walk with my head high. I can walk with a smile on my face. Not because I'm trying to be something I'm not. I'm trying to be something He made me to be. It's not living like everything is okay. You say, well, you can't really live that way, preacher. You're living in denial. You're living phony. You're living like a hypocrite. You know what? That's a lie. We feel like we can't live this way because it's hypocritical. You can't live that way. You can't act like you're perfect because if you live that way, then you're being hypocritical. I can live perfect because He's perfect. So forgive me if I can walk in here with my head held high, with my hands lifted, and feel good about myself, even though I came out of the muck and the mire of sin. You know why I feel that way? Because greater is He that is in me. Because you know why? I tell you this. Because I was lost. I was exposed. I was naked. I was trying to cover myself up with my own deeds, with my own goodness, trying to outlive my mistakes. But somewhere along the line, I found a master. that said, here, stop trying to cover that up yourself. I've got something for you. Put on this robe. Stop separating yourself from me. Stop trying to feel like I don't want you. Put on that robe. And now when I look at him, Brother Evans, look at myself, I don't see my mistake. Have I made mistakes? Oh, my God, yes, I have. And a lot of mistakes I hope you never find out about. I mean that. I've made mistakes. Woo, have I ever made them. I've made some Big ones. I'm not talking about stealing a pack of gum from the candy store. I made some stuff that, who 
Ooh, I know we're not supposed to quantify sin. But on a scale of 1 to 10, I was like a 9 on a couple of them. I mean, I was up there. I made mistakes. And you'll walk in here. And it seems hypocritical to walk in here and feel good. Wait a minute. You know how many... Can I be honest? Just you and me talk. Let's forget to hear. You know how many much junk ran through my head this week? I'm not... I mean, stuff just craziness. Stuff just you, you thinking. You go, my God, I'm going straight to hell right now. I mean, literally, right now. I'm packing my bags straight to hell. I'm already feeling the flames. I mean, that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? You can feel that just comes in your head. It's like, my God, I'm, I'm just packing my bags. It's over with. Ooh, I can feel I got burns on me right now. That's how I felt. But you know what? To be able to walk in here, you think, well, you're just a preacher. That's what you're supposed to do. Ha, ha, honey, you have no clue. Woo, you have no clue. It's one thing to hide there. It's a whole other thing to feel up here and be exposed. But you know what? can walk in here. My shoulders back, my head up. Not because, well, look, he's trying to pretend like he never struggled. Honey, you want to sit down? I'll show you and tell you my struggles, if that will help you. The fact of the matter is, I'm not qualified because I don't struggle. I'm qualified because I do struggle. (laughs) I'm, I'm not disqualified because I've sinned. I'm qualified because I sinned. Because sin opened the door for me to step in and find the greatest gift that's ever been given. The Bible says that we are justified by faith. Just like you received, let's go back here, get, I, I close with this. Think about it. You say, well, that's just too... Preacher, you know, that sounds really good, but that just sounds way too good to be true that literally I can feel that way and just, and just live that way and not be a hypocrite. I just feel like that's hypocritical. That's just too good to be true. I just don't think you can do that through faith. Okay, so you can't do that through faith, but you can lift your hands, worship, and some invisible spirit can come in you and you can start saying words You've never spoken before? That's plausible, but this is not. You can get in some water back there, have a name called over you, dunked in the water, come out, and all of your sins are washed away. That sounds plausible, but this doesn't? Can't you see how much we have been lied to? Because you say this stuff, and I can feel it. It's almost like you're just going, that just does sounds way too good to be true. There's no way. i got to earn it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to earn it. I'm going to prove to everybody how good I am. And we feel like failures every day. And failures make us separate. Separation makes us feel like, where's Waldo? Since you trace, you come. Where's Waldo? Today, I know it's Christmas. I said this earlier before I started. I know it's Christmas. I know some of us are stressed out. If you live in this area, the traffic alone will stress you out. We're stressed. We're under pressure. 
holidays coming, things are crazy. We got parties to go to, things to do, stuff that's involved with all of this. It's just a crazy time of year. The song that says it's the most wonderful time of year would have had to have been written in a much simpler time. I told my wife there has to be a rule. December is like this, and January has to be a month of sleep. This is crazy. Literally, every night something going on, something happening, Christmas, 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 Christmas. And there's nothing wrong with that. I enjoy, I mean, literally, between November and December is one of my, uh, 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 Thanksgiving, Christmas, that, that four-week span, five-week span, is, is, especially if you have kids, is so exciting. So exciting. And I know that a lot of us, we're just here today to put in our time to get moving to get past this but I said before when we started life doesn't stop just because the calendar reads December and you know what most of us will say well uh, January 1st comes around I'll deal with this that's going to be my that's it because January 1st it all starts over again and I can start this but you know what why not give God an opportunity right now because there's some of you that you're living under so much weight so much pressure. So much just absolute weight of life. And you're trying to outrun that and trying to prove to yourself and everyone that will stop for a moment how good of a person you are because inside you're just trying to run away from something. But the bottom line is this. My friend is that there's only one answer. That's to let the righteousness of Jesus Christ robe you, clothe you. If you could listen for a moment in the Spirit today, if you could somehow tune into this, you would hear a voice that would be echoing. And the voice would be calling your name and the voice would be saying, Where are you? Where are you? Where are you today? Where are you today? The voice would be calling out, Where are you? Where are you? God knows where you are. That's not the question. But the question today is, Will you acknowledge where you are? Because God could not help Adam if he knew Adam where Adam was. He could only help Adam if Adam acknowledged where he was. So to tell you all of this today and tell you that God knows where you are is the one step. But the other step to the problem is you've got to acknowledge where you are. God, I'm hiding. I'm over here, I'm hiding. And instead of expecting a, 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 a tongue lashing, a lecture from God about why are you hiding, he goes, but why are you hiding? Why? Don't hide from me. Because I can help you today. Where are you today? I hope that rings out in your ears. Even if you go home today and you don't even pray, you don't even talk to God at the end of the service. When you walk out and you get in your car and you, you close the doors, I hope that in your ears and when you lay down at night, in Jesus' name, I pray this. And I know you say, well, this is kind of crazy. I pray it. I hope when you close your eyes tonight, you lay your pillow, your head on your pillow, that literally you can't go to sleep because you hear, where are you? 
Where are you? Why? Because God's so desperate to make that connection. God's so desperate. You say, well, God, you don't know what I've done. You don't even know. Yes, he does. Yes, he does know what you've done. Are you serious? Well, God, you don't know what's going on in my mind. The Bible says he knows your heart even when you don't know your heart. Of course he does. If he numbered the hair on your head, he obviously cares about what you're thinking. If he was cared enough about something that may or may not last, he certainly cares about stuff that has eternal significance. So today, God's not just hoping, oh, I hope they, I really hope they, they know, they, I hope they come out of hiding. But he's desperate. But your problem is, in our world, it'd be great if he could just come and just say, ah, there you are, let's go. But that's not faith. That's not faith. Adam's response was a response of faith. I'm over here. I'm here. Here I am. Here I am. And when he was able to acknowledge to God where he was, it opened up the door for God to bring a miracle in his life. But the miracle had to start with acknowledgement. So today I can say to you what God can do, that God knows where you are, that you're not lost in the crowd. And it sounds great, but until you acknowledge, God, I am here. Here I am. God, I feel lost, not because you've left me, but I feel lost because I feel like what I've done, where I'm at, what I'm involved in, that separated me. But the Bible says, that doesn't separate you. You've chosen to be separated because the way you feel. But if you would acknowledge that, hey, God, here I am. Here I am. It opens up the door for God to be able to find you hug you, forgive you, but more than that, clothe you with his innocence. I know a lot of you today, you're looking at your watch, you're going, please stop talking. I want to go. I got to get out of here because you're at a crossroads. You're facing a crossroads. You got to make a decision today. Do I keep living this way or do I let God help me? I say today, what do you have to lose? Trust me, it's not going to get harder if you do it God's way. And our minds say, well, it can't be that easy. Give God the opportunity. Is there anybody here today that you're willing to acknowledge, here I am, and acknowledge that, not to join a church. We're not doing this. Come on, folks, we've been through this. It's not about this as being the only place for God to talk, but it's about an acknowledgement of faith. Faith without works is dead. Is there anybody in this place you're willing to get out of your seat, come stand out here, lift your hands and say, God, I'm here. Where are you? Here I am. And let God begin to deal with the things in your life that have separated you from Him. Let Him begin to forgive you. Let Him begin to cleanse you. Let Him begin to heal you. Let Him begin to clothe you. Oh, come on, we're not asking Him for anything. You can't ask Him for something He's willing to give freely. But you've got to be willing to make an acknowledgement of your condition so that He can bring justification. Oh, come on, there's some of you that need to respond to the Holy Ghost. Come on, come on, there's some of you that need to respond to the Holy Ghost.
Some of you that come here week after week. You come here week after week. You've been here for years. But yet you find yourself lost. You find yourself hiding. Would you acknowledge today, God, here I am. Here I am. Oh. Yes. Come on, where are you today? 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 Come on, folks, if you're not praying for yourself, be sensitive to those that are around you. Come on, God is moving. God is working. God is reaching. Would you be sensitive for a moment today? It's still early. We have a few moments. God is trying to do something great today. Would you let the Lord use you? Would you let the Lord use you for a moment? Oh, hallelujah.